Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Mino Lion Media presents Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. With expectations of a COVID surge vaccine hesitancy at its highest and people concerned that there are simply not enough people getting vaccinated. I talked to Dr. Anna Lowengard, who's part of a brand new program called Flex for Checks. The idea behind the program, get a vaccination, save yourself, save others, and get paid while doing it. Anna, thank you so much for joining the conversation today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's talk, uh, let's start with where we are. It's, uh, you know, as a physician, both of us being physicians and both of us going through the basics of virology and medical school and <laughs> understand basic sciences. Let's talk about the matter that's happened uh, in the world as it relates to COVID and people's lack of acceptance of scientific recommendations. I mean, did you ever imagine that there would be a time, first of all, that we'd be in this kind of pandemic, but that we would be in a pandemic like this? And those who have spent their entire lives, their formative years of their career, uh, being knowledgeable and gaining knowledge would actually not be believed by such a large number of people. No, honestly, I don't think I could ever imagine so much of this last year and a half, um, but it, it is extraordinary. And I think one of the things that's interesting to me to see is how many physicians, frankly, um, are part of this disbelief, actually, and healthcare workers are part of this disbelief and people who you would think, you know, who have an understanding of science and have an understanding of mechanisms behind vaccines and the research that's gone into these particular vaccines um, and, and and all of the data we now have about how safe and effective they are. It, it's extraordinary. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I mean, I have my own idea. I want to hear your idea of where I think this went wrong. My opinion is that in the very beginning, when COVID and the response to COVID became a political football during an election year, that it really set the trajectory off in the wrong direction that we're having a very difficult time of, of correcting the course. What do you think? No, I think it's they're sort of inextricable from one another. You know, I think had this happened in a different time and it had it happened when we were politically less polarized. And frankly, I mean, I will say if there hadn't been people who seized upon this for political reasons. You know, I don't think it happened just in a vacuum. I think that people saw the opportunity to divide us and actually played upon it um, for political gain. And, and I think that the use of social media, very insidious, you know, in this area. And so I think to me, it seems as though, you know, I've, 40% of the population has a delusional disorder. You know, they have a very fixed idea about something that's demonstrably false, but they cannot be budged from that. And, and that's pretty extraordinary. You know, I mean, kind of hearkening back to my psychiatry rotation where I took care of patients, you know, who had fixed ideas about other things that perhaps were, you know, more ridiculous than these ones, but very similar that you just, you couldn't have a conversation. There was no way to get an opening to have any kind of insight into, you know, what might have led to the information that was gathered that brought them to this point and, and just a real closed, um, uh, you know, closed mind to any um, thought about, you know, 
changing minds. I mean, I feel like people are very, very fixed at this point around how they feel about this issue. And uh, I find that, you know, in our population of employees, that it's very hard to change people's minds at this point. Um, So... Yeah, but it's also exhausting. Like I tell people all the time, you know, it's been what a year and a half. Uh, right in the very beginning, I remember in March, really becoming I was public about it after taking my last trip to New York uh, to do the Rachel Ray show. And I remember going on Instagram and all my social media trying to explain to people that you know we're in a fight as a as a world. This is a pandemic, and it's not an epidemic; it's a pandemic. Um, and viruses are very tricky characters. And this is one of the few times in my life where in order for us to get out of this, we really got to work together. This is not one of those situations where, well, don't worry about what so-and-so is doing as long as you do the right thing. This is a case where someone else doing the wrong thing can literally have an impact on you and your loved ones. And I don't know. I mean, I'm exhausted because... I don't know how many times I can say or how many ways I can say it, but you reach this kind of level of fatigue where you say, am I, am, am I going to be able to change these people's mind? I mean, what, from where you sit and what you do, I mean, what is your take on that? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that there's a really real exhaustion factor, no matter where you are in healthcare. I mean, I'm not in hospital or in ICU taking care of patients, but I think that, you know, anyone who works in healthcare right now, I think that what changed, it's funny, I can remember when we hit March and we hit that one year mark, there was something very poignant about that. But we all had hope, I think, still at that point that, you know, the vaccines were taking hold, more and more people were eligible for them. And then, you know, that turning point in July when and this new wave took off. And I think what changed for, for, for people that I work with is that we were no longer all in this together. We were divided. And I think that that was a really different, um, you know, way to have to approach this, that there was this, I mean, I think in some cases, real antagonism. And I think certainly lots of physicians who felt targeted, frankly, and, fr- you know, friends of mine who, you know, are having to explain to patients that they won't give them ivermectin, you know, when they're in the hospital on oxygen. And yes, they can sign out AMA, but if they do, they're going to wait for probably a couple of days in the emergency department because they're not going to survive at home, you know, and just the, the amount of energy that's and and god bless them you know for actually taking the time and patiently explaining this to patients that they care for um but we're not all in this together anymore and i think that that is really you know kind of a dividing line that makes the exhaustion even more real you know the and i was so excited as a physician and scientist and just as a human being i was excited about the vaccinations i'm like geez, we finally have a weapon because we didn't know if we were going to be able to get a vaccination that worked. Um, and thankfully, the vaccination, we lost, obviously, in the U.S. alone, over 600,000 people. Without the vaccination, it'd be well over a million, by the way, for the record. Um, so thank goodness we have it. Um, but even now, even when you say or show, I mean, the data is the data that there are 600,000 plus Americans in the ground, millions around the world in the ground because of this. And you show data saying that here's a vaccine, just like the polio vaccine saved us from polio. Um, And people still have hesitancy uh, and are reluctant about it. What are we to do? What's what's next for us as as healthcare advocates and experts? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the challenge is I think we've we've all been talking and talking and trying to convince and trying to bring data forth, and I think that um, that hasn't 
that stopped working at this point. I, I'm very hopeful that um, CMS will come out with their interim final rule in the next several weeks that will say that if you take money from CMS, um, that you will be required. And I'm hoping that it will be very, very clear what the expectation is, because I think that all of us in healthcare need that, you know, what, uh, unfortunately, I think now feels like a stick, you know, to say this is the way forward, that we need to make, um, you know, group decisions that, as you said earlier, this is this is not an area where every individual can make a decision on their own and not have an impact on others. And and I think that in healthcare, you know, certainly where we sit, where, you know, our employees go into people's homes and who are, by definition, the frailest of our elderly and people with serious illness. Um, and so... I don't feel good, you know, sending people in and we use, you know, PPE appropriately to safeguard our patients. But um, it would be nice to know that everyone was vaccinated who's going into the homes to serve these these most at risk patients. Um, for those listening, CMS being the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So let's talk about kind of what you do, where you sit and, you know, how you're able to hopefully impact some change here. You're involved in one of the largest home care healthcare agencies in the country, correct? Correct. I'm the chief medical officer at Accent Care, and we have home health hospice and personal care services in about 30 states across the country. And so, and so people who are not familiar with what you do is what kind of things do you do when you say home care? What yeah. does that mean? So, you know, sort of across a spectrum of patient types, but home health patients who are referred to us from either after a hospital admission or from their physician's practice that they need uh, either nursing, uh, skilled nursing or therapy services in their home that they're homebound, that they can't get out to receive those services elsewhere. So we really act as an extension of the physician practice to take care of them in the home and help them um, in, in, you know, in the best cases to restore them to an earlier level of functioning um, after an illness or hospitalization. And then hospital this really uh, hopefully taking care of people in the last several months of their life and providing them with really uh, comprehensive services, nursing services, social work services, pastoral care services to help them and their, their family uh, to have the, the best experience possible when people are living with, you know, very serious and life-limiting illness. And then personal care services, which are, um, you know, unskilled workers to help people with their, their custodial needs. So there's their activities of daily living, their dressing, their bathing, their cooking, Etc. Um, and you know, increasingly trying to keep people in the home, which is I think where most seniors would like to remain if they can. Sure, and such a big organization. Obviously, you know there there's so many ways we need to attack this issue, and so many ways to get the word out and get people vaccinated. But you all have a very unique position because of um, the demographics that you serve. Um, talk a little about how you see your organization and your employees being able to effectuate some change as far as uh, the hesitancy and reluctance of getting vaccines. Yeah, we, we've tried, I think, you know, pretty much everything that, that many other large organizations have tried around, um, you know, uh, providing educational forums, uh, providing uh, videos, providing, um, you know, uh, types of raffles to encourage people, you know, through uh, opportunities, uh, you know, to to win prizes or, or get healthcare cost coverage for a year. Um, and, and then really trying to also engage populations. You know, we have significant operations. Um, in Mississippi, across Texas and in Florida. And so, you know, I had a, a sit down with one of our African-American leaders in Texas just to really talk about what has this experience been like for you, you know, and really trying to understand. And I think also really acknowledge that um, 
I think some of the hesitancies in certain populations, it's not like this just came overnight, right? And it's not like this isn't based in in real inequity in healthcare across the board today. You know, it's not in this particular instance, it's not just Tuskegee. It's just, it, we have plenty of data about how, you know, certain populations are treated differently and have different outcomes. And so I think we all have to acknowledge that, you know, that this is, this is not historical, it's present day. And so a lot of it's just listening and trying to, to the extent that we can dispel, um, you know, um, untruths, um, but also just to really acknowledge that whether it's, you know, fear of healthcare uh, in general, whether it's fear of big pharma and large pharmaceutical companies that, you know, um, may not always have the patient's interest first and foremost, you know, I think we have to, we have to speak, we have to speak truth to some of these, these things that I think are really big trends in um, why people are reacting the way they do. This didn't come just because of COVID. All of this has been there and COVID and our political circumstances just unearthed it and brought it to light, I think, more clearly. Yeah. And, you know, the frustrating irony of it all is that these particular populations, as you say, for good reason, um, have skepticism about healthcare, about the establishment, even about the vaccines as it relates to a government program. Um, the frustrating irony is that these, this particular population also tends to be on the wrong side of the, of the data as it relates to more transmission, more infections, more comorbidities, which means more underlying illnesses not doing as well, more desert. So, so here you have a population that is impacted the worst by COVID and yet trying to talk to them about a vaccination, which will help them, but given their history and their current situation of having understandable skepticism makes for a very tricky conversation. The National Minority Health Association uh, has this great program called Flex for Checks. That's with an X, Flex, F-L-E-X for Checks. Uh, I'm working with them. You're also a partner with them. They got an $11 million grant to actually help anyone get vaccinated, particularly underserved. They give $50 to everybody. Talk about your partnership with the program and, and how you see your organization's role in helping out. Yeah, no, I mean, I know that we've got we've been very excited to have the opportunity again to really bring this to bear and, and bringing out all of the opportunities that we can to encourage people and, you know, make this a, a financial impact for, for our employees to take advantage of this. Again, I think the whole goal is really to try and make this more of a carrot, you know, to move forward and do the right thing than a stick. Um, but I think that, you know, again, it, it's funny because I think as we're speaking, part of what's going through my mind, you know, one of the, uh, an article that I found very interesting, the New York Times, maybe a month ago, but also bringing forward that because the Johnson and Johnson vaccine was the easiest to administer from a storage standpoint, that it's one shot um, that, you know, that it was obviously brought forward into some of these communities where there was reluctance, but that ultimately that was seen because it ended up being less effective and also having greater side effects as, you know, giving the, the less effective, cheaper vaccine the worst vaccine to these populations. So it just reinforced the feeling. And it, I think that, you know, what you're reminding me about is, you know, in terms of the, the flex for checks, I feel like we probably need to do more around, again, I think we have to, confront these things head on and say, like, we understand why you feel that way. You know, there are these reasons why the, that particular vaccine made sense, but we understand what the, the the impression is around it. And, you know, we need to do a better job of bringing, if there's a 
you know, perception that there's a better vaccine, we need to figure out how to get those vaccines and not mm-hmm. do the, the the easiest thing that ended up kind of backfiring for all of us, sure. frankly, sure. is that paradox. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's so, once again, I come back to the idea that what an upside down world we're in right now. The idea that a rap star or a singer or an actor can go on social media and make outrageous ascientific statements about the vaccine causing sterilization, swollen testicles, just absolute rubbish. It's like it's like me saying there are 2,000 four-headed monsters living in the bottom of a lake somewhere. I mean, and no, people look at me and say, Dr. Ian's crazy. He needs to be committed, right? But these, and no offense to people who are actors and singers, but no knowledge, no credibility of science and how viruses work and public health. And they make these statements and then their fans and followers who are already on the fence and skeptical, listen to what they say. And it just becomes this kind of propagated, you know, lie, basically myth about the vaccine. And then we as public health servants and advocates have to constantly fight this. It's just exhausting. Yeah, and it does seem sort of endless. I do feel like um, this, you know, this experience with the pandemic and vaccination has really, I think, shown all of us the underbelly of social media, you know, and the fact that the majority of people get their news from social media now and that there are really no safeguards around the veracity, the truthfulness of what comes out on social media, that there is no safeguard there. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, should there be? Should there be an yeah. obligation, a greater obligation to, um, you know, to to fact check what comes out, given how many people. But I think, you know, there are, you know, so so to speak, news programs that also don't hold themselves to that standard. So I think that that really opened the gate for you can say whatever you want and nobody is actually, you know, you're playing catch up <laughs> just to yeah. try and like dispel the last lie or untruth that was said. And But, I, you know, I, I certainly, you know, I, I'm right there with you in terms of the frustration and and how, how do we how do we get out of this? Um, I do think that it, it may come down to mandates. And I think that's a hard place to be right now in this country, because I think it feeds into the, you know, the feeling of um, I'm an independent citizen, you know, and don't don't tread on my freedom. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think that there's any some, easy win. There, there is no easy way. People don't like the word mandates for good reason, by the way. But you have to think, of, I mean, the way I look at it is, is like this. You don't want me to help us get out of an economic depression. I know nothing about the stock market, <laughs> economics. It's not my thing. I have no idea. What I would do is talk to experts. I would research and see who are the best experts, who's most credible. And I'd ask them, what do we do? What's the best way to do this? You don't want me to rewire your house. I'm not an electrician. I have no idea how to do it. I have a concept of electricity, obviously, but I don't know how to. So here we are in a situation where the experts are having a hard time getting people to come to them and believe them for what they have spent their whole lives doing. So here we are in a situation where maybe mandates are going to be the only way for those who are. And I'm not trying to you know, cast aspersions on people, but for those who are still rational and understand what this is, unfortunately, it may come down to companies and some companies are doing it. 
companies, sports leagues, the government saying, listen, enough of this back and forth and this nonsense and arguing about UFOs, okay? We are going to have to mandate this because this is a life or death situation. Nobody wants to be in this place for sure. But what do you do when you are losing tens and thousands of people a month because all of this nonsense that's out, like you say, out in the social media ecosystem? There's, I don't know if there's anything else to be done. Yeah, no, I think it's very interesting. I do think that the power of the purse is fairly strong. So, you know, are there ways for all of us as consumers to, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but, you know, are there ways to to demonstrate peaceably, you know, our beliefs around this? Uh, I think that we still are the majority who, uh, who do believe in science, you know. Um, I think certainly in our organization, you know, it's about 70% of people vaccinated, but there is a very staunch 30%, you know, who, and I I think that that's fairly common from what I'm talking, you know, talking with colleagues, you know, in similar size companies that, and how do we, how do we get across the finish line? You know, I'm very hopeful that this, you know, this, as we head into the colder weather, I mean, what's kind of sad is what you see is it's very, it's, it's somewhat rural and urban, you know, too, yes. the disparity. Um, and so you see these, these rural areas that, that also don't even, don't have a, a health, as robust a health system coverage um, that are really being impacted by this. And, uh, you know, I think that what we'll see is these waves will kind of get less and less, frankly, between the number of people who are vaccinated and the number of people who've had COVID already, we're, we're getting pretty high numbers, you know, across the country. Uh, I don't know if we have totally accurate numbers there. We're in a situation where, you know, I have no crystal ball like anybody else, but I mean, we have to start thinking COVID is here for a while and we have to figure out how to manage it and how the rest of us are going to have to resume some normalcy. We cannot live in a bubble. And so you're going to have to get on the plane or a bus. We're going to have to figure out, unfortunately, by the way, and I'm not happy about this, but unfortunately, we're going to have to figure out how do we decide when to take a risk, how to reduce the risk and still try to do the things as close to normal as we can do in the past. And it's a very unfortunate situation because we wouldn't have to do all this nonsense if we could get shots in arms, stop the virus from mutating and developing more variants. And because what's going to happen is eventually a variant's going to come along where the vaccines don't work. And now we've got to start all over again. This is, I don't mean to sound so dire, but I want to be honest about it, that this is a a, a potentially very perilous and dangerous and and lengthy situation that we're about to approach. No, I agree with you. I mean, I do think that if we can get the five to 11 year old children vaccinated, that will also help a lot. Um, I've been really impressed with the back to school this year and how few um, in my children's middle school and high school kids, you know, have come down with COVID. So I I think that that will help as well. Um, But I think to your point, you know, this is an international issue. We need to get the whole world vaccinated. It's, you know, it's certainly great to get our own country vaccinated. And I think that, you know, it certainly makes sense for boosters for certain populations, but I think that we need to be very cautious about how we use, you know, what are not um, unlimited resources. Um, Because as you say, the the more this virus continues to circulate in other countries and around the world, um, the greater risk we all are at. You know, so this has to be a concerted effort. Um, I'm hopeful in this country that little by little, I mean, I've been flying, you know, now for probably six months and feel fairly comfortable, you know, taking good precautions. Um, 
but you know, it's, it's everyone's what your risk level is and you know, what your yeah. chances are of getting sick. There's certainly plenty of breakthrough infections. Um, yeah. but you know, we, we have to also keep the world moving, uh, at the same time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm cautiously hopeful. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, you know, listen, I, I appreciate the work that you all are doing, obviously. And, um, you know, I remain optimistic, but I also remain quite realistic. In closing, you know, for those out there who are either on the fence or seem entrenched about not getting the vaccine, you know, I've always said to people, why did no one question the chickenpox vaccine? Everyone keeps saying they're doing research on COVID. But did you research the chickenpox vaccine? And all those vaccines you had as a kid were people saying, what's in it? Where was all that? And so. You can say you want to research COVID-19, the vaccines, but you also have to be fair and research the other ones. But we don't have that kind of conversation. What would you say to those people who seem entrenched uh, or, or even on the fence about getting the vaccine? I'm going to give you. The, the final word. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, for me, it always it just comes back to this is really a civic and a moral responsibility we all have as citizens of this country and of this world. You know that it's not about us as individuals. That I think a lot of people have gotten vaccinated with some fear. I mean, I can say myself included. You never quite know. You know, there are side effects to all vaccines in the history of vaccines, but frankly, these vaccines have been some of the safest ever period and most effective. Um, and so I just, I just implore people, you know, to give the older people in this country full lives, you know, for the rest of their lives to give our children back their childhoods. There's been so much loss in this time. Let's, let's all move forward together. Wow. And I couldn't have said it better. Listen, go to flexforchecks.com. You can hit forward slash Dr. Ian Smith, D-R-I-A-N Smith. It's for everybody. It's we're trying to help the underserved, but anyone who's not vaccinated can go to the website and encourage, you know, your friends and loved ones and even strangers. Let's do this together, as Anna said, to get through this. Let's give children their childhood back. We can't sit here and say that we want children to have a sense of normalcy and then turn around and not being willing to take the steps to actually return that to them. So, Anna Lohengard, thank you so much for joining the conversation today. Oh, it's been completely my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me in. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is hosted by Dr. Ian Smith, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producers Ian Smith and Ken Johnson. Find the Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, or on IG at Dr. Ian Smith. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is a mean old line media production. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.